Well, good morning, everyone. It is so great to be able to be here with you again today. It is so awesome that we have the privilege of being able to worship God together. I don't take it for granted anymore. I believe that God has given us such a great privilege. And so I just want to welcome you to Eastside City Church today. My name is Pastor Todd, as you got to see my lovely wife, Jan. We are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church, and we just welcome you here today, whether you're in person, and again, we know many people are coming back to uh, church in the house, as well as those that are online. I actually got to meet some people today that came and said, you know, you've never met us before, and I'm like, I haven't, and they're like, but we know who you are. We've been watching you for a year, and we're just so glad to be here uh, today, and I just thank God for Uh, what he is able to do through all of those things. Well, before I get into the message that God put on my heart, I felt like the Lord gave me a word to speak over you today about this season. And and it's it's just a simple word, but it's the the, the word open doors. Uh, I felt like God is saying, I'm opening doors. I'm here to open doors in people's lives. In fact, um, what I actually felt the Holy Spirit said is that for some of you, there are things that you've had about dreams, desires, thoughts, and in in a past time in your life, you felt like the door has been closed. God said, go try those doors again. Try the door again, because I am the God who opens doors. I am, as we, we sang today, he is the way maker. He makes a way in difficult time. But I just want you to know, God's going to do some things where you're going to see open doors in your life if you believe and receive that word. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, today... We are really beginning a new series called Come, Follow Me. Jesus said, come and follow me. Now, I want to start off by saying this, that um, sometimes there are people that are more challenging to follow than others. While I was visiting family in Seattle a couple years ago, we decided that we wanted to go to a special restaurant that was in another part of the greater Seattle area, and, and, and it's quite can be a, a lot of travel if you go from the north to the south side, but we were probably 20 minutes away, but here was the challenge. The, the, it was rush hour traffic. We wanted to go for dinner. I don't know why we chose that time, but we decided to go to dinner, and in order to get there, because we'd never been there before, we decided to follow uh, in a car a family friend, and I'll tell you what, that was a challenge. Because he drove like Mario Andretti. He thought he was a race car driver, weaving and dipping and going in and out of traffic, moving on the shoulder, going over here. And I was like, whoa. In fact, it was so crazy that many people in my family, my wife and my kids were there, I believe had come to Jesus moments in their life where they're like, oh, dear God, oh, help us, Lord. Hey, save me, Father. (laughs) I mean, there was a lot of confessing, all sorts of things that were going on in that trip. As I said, some people in life are easier to follow than others. Isn't that true? Now, one of the other things I like to do is I like a good hike. I like to go hiking here and there. I haven't got to do it as much as my, uh, was with raising kids, but I especially like to go to lo- locations that have trails or places I've never experienced before. Those first-time views can be breathtaking. And here's what I've learned. It's best not only to follow Uh, the trail, but to follow a person who has experience hiking that trail. Have you ever been somewhere where you went somewhere you thought you were going to go, but didn't quite end up where you wanted to be? Uh, That's never fun. You see, the reason that it's important to have a good guide sometimes that you can follow is because not 
only do they understand the trail, do they understand the way, but they will give you ideas like what you should pack, what you should bring with you, or, or what you should wear. I mean, I've been with people that come to Alberta, and they're like, hey, I'm ready to go hiking in their shorts and their t-shirt, and they don't realize that there could still be snow on the ground right now. In the book of Matthew, Jesus called to all of us throughout eternity, and he said, come and follow me. Today we begin a series about how Jesus has called us to follow him, how we're to become like him, and we're going to begin as we introduce this to discover what is it that Jesus is asking us to come and follow him and do. Matthew 16, starting in verse 24, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples, and he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be if someone, for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Let's just pray here really quick. Father God, I want to say thank you today for the opportunity to share your word, your truth. And Lord God, I pray for every person here, God, that you would open each one of our hearts to receive, our ears to hear, our eyes to see, God, everything that you have for us. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. So Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must pick up their cross and what? Follow me. Now, another word for disciple in the Bible is the word followers. So you can almost interchange those two. And we know that this is what a disciple is. This is what a, a disciple is called to be. A disciple is a learner in the most basic terms who follows a master teacher. You see, a disciple not only wants to learn from the teacher the knowledge that they have, the things that they have uh, gained in life, but a true disciple desires to become like them. You see, discipleship, I want you to understand when Jesus begins to talk about it, is much more than just acquiring information or knowledge. In fact, in our Western culture, we can be quite comfortable just acquiring more knowledge. We, we like courses online. We are able to read books about things, and they can help us, and they can teach us many things. They're, they're not wrong. But the reality of it is that, that to be a disciple is something more. It's, it's something deeper. It, it seeks to model not only the, to learn knowledge from somebody, but to learn their behavior, their mannerisms, their attitudes, how they behave in situations. You see, we want to be like them if we're a disciple. You see, one of the things that I've learned about being a dad is that kids are a reflection of us, aren't they? And, and if you haven't realized it, you probably realize it in some of the most funny uh, situations. I still remember the very first time I heard my son say, what's wrong with you to the driver who cut us off in the car? And I remember looking at my wife. I said, well, where did that come from? And then she smiled at me and I go, oh yeah, that kind of sounds like me, doesn't it? So we have this reminder many times when we have children that these, these little ones, they, they're our mirrors, they're reflections of us. They are our little followers, or we could say disciples. And if we're going to be 
disciples. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to understand that, that, that discipleship is really a commitment to learn from that person as much as possible. Uh, I like to compare it to or, or, or to say it's like an apprenticeship program where the apprentice not only learns knowledge, if it's a good apprenticeship program, they don't only learn how to do their skills, whether they're an auto mechanic or an electrician or a plumber or a carpenter. There's a lot of different fields that start with apprenticeship programs that you don't only want to learn knowledge or the needed skill for development, but they also practice those skills by applying them to real life situations, by actually doing the work and sometimes even making mistakes. Right? As an apprentice, you don't always get it right. But a good master teacher gives the opportunities for those apprentices to learn those skills. And when mistakes happen, I've learned this over time, that when mistakes happen, a good master teacher takes responsibility for those mistakes and helps them and covers them. You see, one of the greatest voids that's in our society right now is we have People who look to blame other people for their problems instead of helping them, instead of reaching out to them. And today I want you to understand as we talk about becoming more of a Jesus follower, as, we, as Jesus says, come follow me, that we're going to understand that God's design and his desire is not only to show us how to live and to teach us how to live, but to help us to live that way. That's what he says when he says, come follow me. You see, discipleship is much more than a transfer of information. It is the imitating of the teacher's life and their values. It's in re and reproducing their teaching. So how do we follow Jesus? Or what are the keys to being a disciple? How can Jesus reproduce in us the things that he desires to in our lives? Well, it starts with this incredible word called relationship. Discipleship is best done through the vehicle of genuine relationship. Why relationship? I want to give you three things in the first part of my message of why relational discipleship is so important. First of all, here's the word, it's comprehensive. It's comprehensive. Jesus chose relationship or chose to have relationship or desires for us to have relationship with us. Why? Because it's holistic. It, it, it's comprehensive. It, it covers everything. Now, I know many of you probably have some sort of car insurance. And one of the plans that you can get is called comprehensive car insurance. Well, who here knows that the world's does, uh, uh, definition of comprehensive isn't always fully complete? <laughs> that doesn't mean it covers everything, even though it says that it should. I remember when I was uh, 19 years old. On my 19th birthday, I was getting ready for, to go to college and it was in, the, in November, there was a little, it had been kind of, it was windy that morning. And as I was getting ready to, um, as I was eating my breakfast, all of a sudden I heard this incredible sh boom, shattering sound. And I looked outside and a big, massive tree branch had fallen on my car. Like crushed the roof flat, fallen on my car. And I remember I called the insurance company and, and I was like, hey, uh, I had this tree branch. It fell on my car. Uh, can you fix it? And they're like, let's see what kind of insurance you have. Do you have comprehensive insurance? And we found out, of course, I was 19 years old. No, I didn't. And here's what else they said. This is just an aside. They said, we can't fix this for you because it was an act of God. 
I didn't know insurance companies believed in God, did you? (laughs) Only when it's convenient for them, I guess. Anyways, comprehensive. See, relationship, relational discipleship is powerful because it involves our whole life where it is connected to our life. You see, in Western culture, one of the things that we struggle with is we believe in compartmentalization. Love these big words. That what I do in one part of my life doesn't impact the other. That I can, I can have one type of uh, thing that I do when I'm at work that doesn't impact what I, how I live at home. Or the things that I do at home don't in fact, in fact the things that I do with my friends or my social life. And I want you to know that that is a lie from the enemy. You see, God's design and his desire for us is that we wouldn't be people that have these separate things that we do where we we try to compartmentalize things. You know why we do it is because we don't want people to see everything about us or know everything about us. So we we, we keep just little parts and bits. and, And at work, maybe that's okay with some people because they're your colleagues. But God's saying, I want something deeper with you. And I want you to live in a way that is more impactful. And it's where we come together. Our life is all connected. You see, that's how we're designed to live that way. Genuine relationship is comprehensive because it links or integrates our life together and allows us to live congruently, or a better word that we probably hear in churches with integrity. See, integrity means I'm who I am no matter where I'm at. In my home, in my work life, in my social life, I'm the same person. Now, here's another reason that Jesus chose relational discipleship because it's transparent. (laughs) Jesus chose relational discipleship because it's transparent. It's hard to hide who you are when you're around somebody 24-7, isn't it? Maybe you've experienced this this in your life or you know of somebody who has. Who who hasn't doesn't see this? That's why sometimes best friends don't always make the best roommates. (laughs) Oh, I've seen this happen. I was a youth pastor for a a lot of years. I experienced it even in my own life. It's like, oh, man, wouldn't it be great? We're going to go to college. We're going to move in together. We're going to have fun. It's going to be a party all the time. And all of a sudden, after a month, you hate each other. What changed? What is it that changed? Well, what changed in the relationship is you went from seeing each other when it worked for you or it was convenient for you to now you're seeing each other 24-7 every single day of the week. And now all of a sudden those things that that are just little things that you could hide from people, you can't hide it anymore. It's one of the challenges when people get married. (laughs) Oh, man, that person's wonderful, but they have some things. Man, the way that my wife does the toothpaste, it's weird, you know. You 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 see them 24-7. See, relational discipleship allows Jesus to see into our lives. Not that he can't see all the time, but it's where we allow him into our life. You see, as he walked with his disciples, he was able to see how they related to stress, to temptation, to suffering, and even to each other. He got to see them when they were in their best places. In fact, we, we see stories where he was like, Man, Peter, you're, that was awesome, that revelation that you got. And then a few verses later, he's like, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he saw the negative parts of his character and his nature. He was part of their conversations. And he was able to observe their character. 
Because they were with him day and night, nothing was hidden from him. You see, genuine relationship produces something that for many of us can be a scary, scary word. It's the word intimacy. When we think about intimacy, we look at it as maybe a, a, a relationship, but it's really about being this. Intimacy really means into me. You see, I'm not hiding who I am from you anymore. This is who I am. And I love that we sang, there was a hymn that said, come as you are. Because God loves us just who we are, but he wants to see us. Why? Because he wants to help us. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us. He wants to help us become more like him. You see, when life isn't perfect, we got to be honest, we don't like to be seen. We don't want people to see our problems, the ugliness of sometimes how we respond to things. Isn't it amazing that when you sometimes need to go pick up something at the store, it's late at night, you're just getting ready to go to bed, you weren't, you weren't pre- uh, dressed up, ready to go, and you sneak to the store, you pray that you will not encounter anyone. God, praise, help me, don't see anybody, I don't want to see anybody I know. So we slither in and out of the store, we take back roads, we, we drive lower in our car, but if we, happen, if we do happen to see somebody, what do we do? We, pre- pre- we pretend that we don't see them. Maybe they won't notice me. Maybe they won't know that I was here. Maybe they won't see us. Because why? We're afraid for people to know what we're really like. Because we know what we're really like when we're not in our best. And we're hoping that they won't reject us. Adam and Eve had this problem in the garden when they they sinned. What did they want to do? They wanted to hide from God. They didn't want God to see them. Even though God knew everything, God could see everything. But what was God waiting for? God was waiting for them to be willing to say, God, here I am. Here I am with my imperfections, with my weaknesses. I want to tell you this. This might be a shocker to you. To God, the ugly parts are the best. God loves your ugly parts. God loves you. And God wants to turn what you think is ugly into something more beautiful. He longs for us to be honest with him, to come to him with our weaknesses and challenge. He sees them anyways, but he will not touch them unless we allow him to. See, that's the difference. He sees it, but he won't touch it unless you allow him to. And here's my third point of why God chose relational discipleship for us to be to be in relationship with us because relational discipleship is personal even though every one of us is made in the image of God each one of us is unique there's no two of us who are completely alike oh we might have some similarities oh we might have some things that 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 draws together if you look at my family you might say that some of my kids look at me, look like me you might picture that but they're completely different And because of that, God relates to us in a unique way and in in the way that he wants us. You know, we used to, when I was in school, they would say, did you know that every snowflake, and snowflakes are small, are unique? And they they, they had somebody somehow who put them under a microscope. I don't know how you do that without a melting. It must have been a really cold place. But they were all beautiful and unique and pretty. Now, I'm not calling you all snowflakes today, but... I'm saying that you are amazing. And you see, genuine relationship allows us to discover more about each other. God 
wants us to discover more about him, what his heart is for us, how much he cares about us. You see, we see each other's strengths and weaknesses when we, we are in genuine relationship with each other, which is wonderful and scary at the same time. And Jesus is able to relate these things to us. Why? Because he knows us. When Jesus is our leader, he has a custom plan for each and every one of us. God desires for you to know and understand what his plan is for your life. He's so excited to share this with you. You see, in different seasons of life, we have different challenges in different areas. And what I've learned is that the the journey that I'm walking in right now is not the same journey as my wife's or not your journey. And we have to understand that God relates to us in those seasons according to where we're at. Who here knows that as a parent, if you you, you try to raise each of your kids exactly the same way in the same manner, you're going to have a problem. Why? Because they're not the same. I've learned this as a pastor. If I try to give the same advice to every person that's in the same, what I think is the same situation, it will blow up in my face because each person is different. I'm thankful that God doesn't have a cookie-cutter approach in relating to us because he knows us He seeks to transform us through personal relationship with him. He yearns for us to grow and become more like him. Jesus today is saying, come, if you will, come and follow me. So how important is discipleship to Jesus? Well, I want to give you some context in the Bible. When we talk about the word disciples or discipleship, it's a word that is mentioned over 350 times times in the Bible compared to the word Christian. And most of us in here today would say that we're, we're Christians. That would be normal. And did you know that the word Christian is only mentioned three or four times? And in our day, here's what our challenge is. We wrongly separate the idea of discipleship from becoming a Christian or Christianity. Did you know that, that, that in fact, approximately out of the 7 billion people on the planet, 2.5 billion people in the world consider themselves Christians. That's 35% of the population. One in three people on the planet say, you know what, I identify with being a Christian. But here's what my question is. If there are so many Christians in the world, why don't we see more love? Why don't we see more faith? Why don't we see more of God-centered things in our society? Why is our world becoming progressively, why is it deteriorating the way it is, where it's more vulgar, more violent, and more valueless? Can I tell you why I believe this? We have, I believe this, we have many people who call themselves Christians who are not disciples of Jesus or Jesus followers. You see, here's what I've observed. People like the benefits associated with Christianity, They don't want to go to hell. (laughs) They like the idea of heaven. They they like the idea of blessing. They like the idea that God might be able to reach out to them in an emergency. But they don't have a desire to submit their lives to Jesus. They seek absolution for sin without transformation. They don't want to transform. They resist change in their life. They're like, yeah, I, I want this part of it, but God, just can you stay out of here? I don't want you in this part of my life. 
It's association without relationship. And so therefore the term Christian or Christianity is more of a historical label, but it doesn't hold any power. Because Jesus didn't come to have us just identify with him. He wants us to follow him, to be like him. See, Jesus' expectation was clear for his followers to become more and more like him. And can I say it this way? I'm gonna, this is where I'm going to, this is kind of the toe-stepping part of my message today. Jesus is not looking for more people that acknowledge who he is. There's tons of people that acknowledge who Jesus is. They know who he is. He's not looking for that. He's not even looking for more believers. Woo, mind blown. Even those who, even though he, that's where we start, those who believe he said who he was, what Jesus is looking for is more disciples. Those who will make a pursuit of not only his teachings a great priority, but will seek to embrace his nature and his character. So then what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, listen again. Let's read what Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 said. It said, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Uh Oh, he talks about this thing, the cross. Well, what's the cross? Well, I understand. We just had Easter celebrations last week. We did Good Friday a little over a week ago. ago. I've seen the, the passion of the Christ. I've seen Jesus being nailed to the cross. Is that what you're talking about? That's most likely the picture that we have of the cross. You see, the cross is the place where Jesus surrendered his will to accomplish God's will. And we have to understand this. He did not want to die and suffer for us, but he was willing to. And he embraced the cross so that we could be free. But then, he, but then this thing comes up and he says, not only did Jesus go to the cross, but if you read what he said in Matthew, uh, we're told if we desire to be Jesus' followers, we must pick up our own cross. Oh. oh, oh so does that mean I, I, I need to get crucified? I've, I've been to some countries in Holy I've been to the Philippines in Holy Week. I've seen guys carrying crosses. They actually, you know, crucify people as an act of their celebration. It's, that's, but that's not what God's talking about here. You see, we have to also understand that when Jesus was preaching this, why it was so hard for them, and it might even be hard for us, for them, the idea of somebody being nailed to a tree or going through this type of capital punishment was very repulsive to the Jewish people. It would have been like, uh uh-huh. I will never do that. It wasn't a pretty picture. And it can be repulsive or even gruesome for us today. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus did not ask us to pick up his cross, but he demands us to pick up our cross if we're going to be his followers. So what is our cross? What is my cross? What's your cross? I'm glad that you asked that. Thank you. See, the cross for us, my cross as well as your cross, is the place where our will crosses or comes into conflict with God's will. Oh. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's, it's, it's those places in our lives where we, we, we wrestle with, well, do I want to do it God's way or do I want to do it my way? <laughs> 
Do, do I think I know what's best in this situation? Or do I do what God says is best? You know, it's typically, and there, there are places in our lives, if we're really honest, that we at times make of greater value or importance than God. And, the, and it can almost become, that's what we put our energy and our focus upon. Uh, Matthew Wilkins says this, in order to claim salvation, Jesus offered each person, what he offered each person was forced to exchange the God of his life or her life with Jesus as the true God of life. Oh. Well, what, what is that? Well, that could be a lot of things. might be a relationship. It could be a relationship that you have that isn't right, that you put more, that what pe- that person thinks of you is more important than what God thinks of you. Hello? could be a job or an educational degree. It could be sleep, that you think sleep is more important than God. <laughs> could be our reputation. Whatever you hold on to that interferes with you doing the will of God is your cross to bear. And God will cross your will. My will Versus his will. We saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he pray before he went to the cross? God, would you take this cup from me? Would you, would you make it so that I don't have to be crucified? He didn't want to do it. But then he said, but God, you're my father. Your will be done, not my will. That's where the real cross was. So how do we find the will of God? How do we know the will of God? How can we come to that place? Well, first of all, there's, there's two main areas that I want to talk about here today. The two places we find the will of God, first of all, is the Bible, the Word of God. It's the highest authority. Everything in the universe is run through God's Word. God submits himself to his own Word. Did you know that? That his Word is eternal. The second area is through the leading of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and he begins to speak to things. Hey, maybe, maybe you shouldn't go there today. Maybe you should do this. And we wrestle with it, and that's where the cross is. You see, it could be that still, small voice, or just knowing, and you know, as we seek and pray to God, he reveals more of his will to us. Some of us don't know God's will because we don't spend any time seeking his will. We're busy. I get it. But here's what I want you to understand. Well, what happens when I'm in conflict where God, I feel like God's speaking to me maybe to do something that, that maybe I, I'm not sure if I should, should do it, but I'm feeling this impression. How do I know if it's right? It's kind of like that thing. You go back to the first thing, which is the word of God. Everything we believe, hear, or feel is, needs to be subject to the word of God. What does the Bible say? Don't, don't just believe my words. Listen to the word of God. Well, 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 God told me, you know, I, I don't need to forgive my boss. He was really mean. No, he, no, that's not what God said. How do I know that? Because it violates his word. <laughs> well, God, well, God told me it was okay for me to, uh, um, you know, to, to move in with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. He said it's okay. No, he didn't. How do I know that? Because it violates his word. What's more? You know, there's things that we justify, but how do we know? Well, we want to learn to listen to his voice, but we filter that through his word. 
And what we have to understand is that when we talk about the cross, your cross, my cross, will not necessarily be your cross. What God asks me to surrender or to take on will most not likely be what he asks you to surrender or take on. And so we need to not judge other people according to how God is working in our life. But to pick up our cross means that we need to learn to deny ourselves. To deny ourselves means we need to submit our wants, our needs, our desires to God. And it's not easy, and it's not always fun, and it's not always popular in our culture of access. In fact, as I even speak this to you, I can tell you I'm not always really excited to let go of what I want. But not my will be done, God, but yours. Hmm. Teach us, God, how to trust you. See, it's a trust relationship. See, it's a willingness to starve our fleshly appetites for something greater. That's why fasting is so powerful. Some of you may not even know what I'm talking about. It's denying yourself of food for a season, for prayer, or it could be media. And, and I, I can't believe they, I, I say this every time because I think it's silly. They call it the word fasting, and there's nothing fast about it. When you miss a meal, it feels slow. But, when we, but, but we do this because when we deny our flesh through physical sacrifice, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And, and, and when we, we deny our flesh in physical sacrifice, we release greater spiritual sensitivity and power. And I know it's not always easy, folks. Growing up, I was made fun of because of my decision to serve God. I had a big part of my family that did not support me. I had friends that thought I was insane. But it was my cross. You see, to pick up our cross and to deny ourselves is not just a one-time event. In Luke 9.23, we have the same story but with a little different perspective. And there's another word that's added here. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You mean, God, we have to do this every day? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we get to do it every day. (laughs) It's, it's, it's learning to submit our will to God's will. Now, here's what I need, you need to understand, because I know this can get heavy. It's like, oh, that's why I don't want to be a Christian, because this seems like it's not very much fun. God's not against us having fun. I, I want you to hear that. God's not, it doesn't mean that we cannot enjoy ourselves. What it means is that our desires do not rule over our lives, because Jesus does. That Jesus is more important. And and here's what we need to understand. There's a great reward when we submit ourselves to Jesus. See, here's what the enemy doesn't tell you when you are feeling like, well, if I do this, I'm going to lose out on this. I'm going to lose out. Listen to what it says in Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Well, wait a second. What's he saying? He's saying whoever wants to preserve their old life, their old ways of doing things, whoever wants to hold on to what they think is is good that hasn't been benefiting them up to this this time that's been producing frustration and difficulty and guilt and, and shame, whoever wants to hold on to that will lose blessing and freedom. They will not experience life. But those who give up their will for my will will find the true meaning of life. 
will find freedom. They will find purpose. They will find great just joy and even blessings. You see, great, the greatest frustrations I see in people are those who are marginal or halfway Christians. They got one foot in the church and one foot out there in the world living for themselves. They're loving God in some areas but unwilling to surrender to him in others. And, and so they, they, they're just miserable. It's a miserable way of living. I'm here to tell you this, that the easy path, we like to look for the easy way of living. We try to hold on to our old life because it's familiar. But here's what I've learned, that the easy way is actually the harder way. I'm t- I'm t- I hope I'm telling you, you believe I'm telling you the truth here today. Yes, in the moment, it's sometimes hard to let go of those things. But once we do, there's freedom and liberty and joy and goodness and grace and favor and blessing. But when I don't let go of it, there's just anxiety and frustration and stress. Hmm. Jesus does not require the cross because he wants to kill us or keep us from blessing. He uses the cross to open the door for freedom, for peace, for blessing and rewards, both here on earth as well as in heaven. You see, it's many times, what do we see? What what do you see? What do you see when you look at this? The call of God, the call of Jesus, come and follow me. You see, many people see rules. I see freedom. See, when I look at the word of God, it's when I follow the word, it brings freedom. You see, others see restriction. I see redemption. Many see religion, broken, tired religion, but I see relationship. John 10.10 says, the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and life more abundantly. Some here today are carrying some massively heavy burdens. You're worrying about the future. You're worrying, you have regrets about your past. You maybe have strained or broken relationships that you're dealing with right now, maybe even some unforgiveness in your heart, and you're, you're carrying these things. That is your old life. That's what we, we carry. Those are the things that we carry that are a part of our old nature. And when we do that, we don't have peace. And maybe you're feeling frustration and even here, but I hear Jesus calling out to us. Come. Follow me. Come, give those things to me. Give me your burdens. My way is better. In fact, here's what it says in Matthew 11, 28, verses 11, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Then Jesus said, listen to this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Now, that that seems strange. A yoke? Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. 
Can you hear him? Can you hear the whisper of heaven? Can you hear Jesus saying, give me your stuff. I'm a gentle God. I'm not here to punish you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to release you, to free you. My yoke is easy to bear. My burdens are light, but, but, but you, 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 can't, you can't pick up your cross and hold on to the, 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 those old things. You, if, but if you run and you embrace the cross, my cross, your cross that you have, God says, I am going to give you rest. I'm going to give you freedom. I'm going to give you liberty. And I believe there's some here today, you, you are desperate for relief. You're desperate for relief in your life. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. If you want that relief, you've got to surrender to Jesus. And he's saying, will you come? Follow me. I want to lead you. I want to lead you to better places. I want to lead you to your future. I want to lead you to places where you're going to find that peace. You're going to find that blessing. But you have to surrender to me. Come and follow me. Will you be my disciple? Some of you got us speaking to you about where your cross is. Where, where are you wrestling with God right now? What are you wrestling with? God's saying, will you give it to me? Will you pick it? Will you take up your cross? It's the way to freedom. It's the way to healing. It's the way to restoration.